I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. And today we have got a special treat. As you know, once in a while we give you a preview of the special podcast we have in our movement, which is our membership opportunity for economic developers. And once a month we interview highly successful economic developers and really do a bio on them in our movement. We get way more in-depth about what makes them tick and so forth. So today we've got Danielle Casey. She is the CEO of Albuquerque Economic Development. And uh, this was just a fantastic recording. So we thought for this... This one we're going to release it not only for our movement members, but for all of our public free listeners so you can really get a sense of what we have in the movement. So now I'd like to welcome in Danielle Casey from Albuquerque. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So Danielle for years has been considered one of the top rising stars and now she's CEO in Albuquerque. So now your star has risen. I don't know if we can call you a rising star anymore because that's a big job there. So well, it's risen over a mile high, by the way, because that's the altitude we're at here. Oh, there you, you go. Know, people don't think about that when they think about Albuquerque. Uh, but, you know, it's good for the heart. My workouts have gotten much more impactful. <laughs> well, I'm going to come see you because I've been to all the Western cities, but I hadn't been to Albuquerque. So we're going to have to change that. Well, take us back to how you got into this field and kind of walk our listeners through how you, how you ended up in Albuquerque, some of the stops along the way. Oh my, my, that's quite a story. Well, let's see. I, uh, I ended up in Arizona. I followed my mom and stepdad halfway through college because mom said, why don't you come be closer to me, get in state tuition and go to Arizona state. And, you know, this is the very tail end of the nineties and Arizona state was quite a fun school. I'm sure it still is. Yeah. Top Um, fun schools every year. There you go. So I went down to ASU and I really loved art culture and history. So I got an anthropology degree and, uh, and then I went, great. Now what do I do? (laughs) You know, because all those kids were just so cool. But I ended up working at the Heard Museum of Native Cultures in Art. It was really an unbelievable opportunity. I wanted to cut my teeth in that space and 
you know, I figured out really quickly that they were not going to put me into a job in curatorial. I'm pretty clumsy. I was not good at sports. <laughs> I was going to break a 3,000-year-old pot in about five minutes. But I, I, <laughs> I gravitated towards marketing and PR and managed all the front-end staff and, and learned a lot about that, learned a lot about fundraising and managing uh, membership organizations. So I worked in that space. Uh, really loved it and enjoyed it. And then fast forward, you know, you're a couple of years out of school and you decide I'm going to get a house and I'm going to drive to qualify. And at the time we were in a tremendous housing boom in Arizona. And I found myself buying a house in the city of Maricopa as the crow flies about 40 minutes from Sky Harbor Airport, South Southwest, not within Maricopa County, which many people confuse city of Maricopa with Maricopa County. But if you've ever worked with third generation farmers who have incorporated the city, they said, by God, we've always been called Maricopa and we're keeping the name. We don't care if it's confusing. <laughs> so I was the 12th employee at this organization at the city. We started it in a double wide trailer. Our fastest, I think about a year and a half in, and I was the 12th employee of this city ever, about a year and a half in, I remember we did 791 single family permits in one month over a card table in a double wide trailer. Wow. So, um, yeah, but you know, pretty quickly I got into economic development because about a month and a half in, they drug everybody around the table and they said, all right, Danielle, because you're the newest, you have the most capacity. We've got this economic development consultant. We're paying all this money for to figure out economic development because it's a priority for our leadership and go do whatever she needs and figure it out. I had no clue what I was doing. Well, that woman was the woman who founded the Greater Phoenix Economic Council. Ioana Morfessis, who's also a past chair of IEDC. And, and, you know, when you look back through your career, I don't think I've had or done anything that wasn't because of really amazing mentors opening the door for me. So I'm cognizant every day of paying it forward. So anyway, my mother, who's from Texas, would call it baptism by fire in terms of my experience there in Maricopa learning economic development, but tremendous opportunity. I left there as the assistant city manager overseeing, you know, everything from capital development to marketing and IT and PR and economic development. And I had the opportunity to go to the glorious Scottsdale, Arizona. It was an unbelievable opportunity and those don't open up very often. So I knew I needed to apply for it. And if I was lucky enough, take it. And for those of you not familiar with Scottsdale as a business community, it's very well known as a tourism community, obviously, but as a business community, I think I ran the numbers years ago, and it was about 5% of the Metro Phoenix population, but really was home to about 80% of the corporate headquarters and regional offices in the area. So obviously a very high concentration of businesses and business leaders. Great opportunity experience to learn about that. Worked on the ASU Innovation Center Sky Song, and my last project there that I was really proud of was working to uh, retain nationwide insurance and also trigger a really big project that, you know, created a couple thousand jobs there on some state land in North Scottsdale. I ended up in Sacramento after that because the illustrious Barry Broom, who I know you've interviewed, he's a very dynamic fellow, one of my favorite people. He had been recruited out to really basically completely start from scratch, restart regional economic development in greater Sacramento. And he had been out there about two years and I ran into him at a Cornet conference. And the man can really, I mean, I'll tell you, he's probably, I call him a rainmaker. He's the best fundraiser and salesperson I've ever seen in my life, truthfully. And he said, Danielle, if you can come here and help me, you know, get this shop running right and get everybody trained up and set up all of our processes and procedures, 
and it'll be great. And you're going to come and learn how to be a CEO. And he wasn't joking. He brought me out there with the absolute clear purpose of letting me help him get things organized and learn from him. So I could either take over from him for him in that region or, you know, go and be a CEO somewhere else. And uh, it was a tremendous experience. You know, the way he sold that community to me, which I truly believe is if you could impact the state capital of California, you could have the hopes of actually impacting California. And then so goes the nation ultimately. And everything in economic development, you know, it's really, it's a marathon and not a sprint anyway, right? So you're in it for the long haul and the little wins add up to big ones over time. But this past summer in the middle of COVID, I was on the phone with a really good friend who's also on the board of IEDC who said, you know, Danielle, I know you're happy there and, and things are going good and you're learning a lot, but you should really think about a CEO position. You know, it's, I think you're ready and you've been head of a department before. It's not much different. You've learned a lot. You should look at this Albuquerque recruitment. It came across my desk, but it's not for me. And I looked at it and, you know, was not intending to make a move, but everything I learned about the Albuquerque role, I really think this community and region is on the precipice of uh, tremendous opportunities. The community is engaged and eager and excited, and which is so strange and amazing, right? In an era of COVID, that this is a really unbelievable time. And I was struck by a lot of the parallels to the Sacramento region with Albuquerque being one of the last to come out of, if, if you even assume it's come out of the Great Recession, a lot of challenges and, you know, dominance of government jobs in the state, et cetera. So I uh, learned quite a bit that I can apply here. And I think also looking back 30 years, you know, why was it that 30 years ago, Phoenix and Albuquerque were much closer in terms of, you know, population, corporate presence, and, you know, looking at those case studies and seeing, you know, why maybe one region has grown and not another, and then thinking about how you can apply those experiences in a very unique way to the community you're serving. It's a tremendous opportunity and I'm thrilled to be here and it's been a few months and I'm learning a whole community by Zoom, which is, I need to write a book. <laughs> yeah, and I was, you know, we've probably got other listeners who have just started a job. I can't, how challenging has that been? I mean, to be not only Zoom, but then you got the holidays, so people aren't really working. So really, you're really just now getting yourself going. So how hard's that been? I will say... Probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my career, but I, I love a challenge. So, you know, I kind of thrive off that. But this community, I've got to say, I am blown away by how welcome, welcoming everyone has been, how many people I've met over Zoom, and how truly connected I do feel. I've been popping into the office a couple times a week just to feel like I can make sure it's still there, you know, <laughs> but but most of it's from my home office here. So people go, well, how do you like Albuquerque? And I go, I love my house. <laughs> and I love the beautiful trailheads a quarter mile from my driveway. And I love all these things. And I can't wait to find all my little haunts. I think it's something very unique to this community. And I've lived in a lot of places as to how tremendously embracing they've been. I mean, it is, it is a small state. The population in the community is small in comparison to other regions. It's a really, really unique town. I always like to ask our guests, what are some of your success habits? Are there things you do, you know, on a routine basis, whether it's, yeah, every morning for the first hour I work or do email, whatever. Actually, Barry Broom, one of the things he said was he likes to train his staff to be a CEO. That was one of the things he said. So it's funny you brought that back up. So what would be some of your success well, habits? Well, first, I count the Barry Broom scars on my arm. You know? <laughs> it's amazing that with, I'll tell you just a little comment on that. You know, in my time with Barry, my gosh, unbelievable. I just, you know, 
what an experience. There are days when I go, gosh, I hate that I left, but boy, when you get into a new CEO role, that's even when it starts clicking on all the things they were teaching you and you go, oh my God, I get it. And you adapt and you adopt their styles. And so it's just been exceptional. And so, yeah, I certainly hope I can emulate his uh, CEO maker status as I go forward in my career with others. Gosh, you know, I'd love to tell you I get up and work out first thing in the morning, but I'm not a morning person. You know, I drink a lot of coffee. I will say a couple of my keys, I'm kind of a data geek. So I'm really obsessive about my CRM and tracking information and knowing that things are clean. And I don't know if it's a good or a bad habit, but I am really, really picky about having a clean inbox and keeping an eye on what's going on in my emails. It might be a bit of a detriment as well, but I don't start the day or end the day with any unopened emails. So that's a big deal. And then, you know, the handwritten thank you note sure goes a long way. I think some people have figured that out yet again in the world, but boy, you know, and it's amazing too, how many people will give you their personal address if you tell them you're going to send them a card or a gift. So yeah, that's true. I used to do that when I first started my career. I mean, it's been 15 years ago. Every Friday I would send notes. But still to this day, 15 years later, people will sometimes say, the one thing I remember about you is you sent me those notes. In other words, I should really be doing it again. So I'm stupid for not. Right. It's funny. You know, and I'll say as a thank you to you, you know, at least once a week, hopefully more, I try to listen to a podcast or, you know, definitely I'm always reading, you know, in terms of uh, content that matters to our day-to-day work, but I also try to do something that just stimulates my brain, but is connected to the profession. So listening to your podcast or listening to something else a little outside of the box that has a connection, just kind of, you know, it's a good way to get out of your own head. Thank you, Danielle. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more with Danielle Casey right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other bills and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com. Book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think back to when you were in Maricopa or uh, <laughs> Scottsdale or wherever, was there ever a light bulb moment? So, you know, you get hired in, you really don't know much about the industry. So you're wondering, you know, can I do this? Was there ever a moment or a project where you actually remember saying to yourself, you know what, I think I can do this. You know, in terms of a specific project, I think what was interesting is when I went into Scottsdale, and it's a tremendous community and unbelievable organization. So I want to, you know, preface it with that. But when I went in, it was 2000, I guess, 13. So it was fairly, you know, recent post-recession. 
a previous director who had been there for many years, who I just respect the heck out of, he had left and, you know, gone on to some new roles. And actually, he had gone to the Downtown Phoenix Partnership at the time. And, you know, sometimes when a leader like that leaves, sometimes their senior staff will all go find new places. So for, you know, numerous reasons, I would say the department had kind of been decimated a little bit. You know, all the folks that had institutional knowledge, that were trained economic development professionals had left. Because it was the recession, they weren't really going out and filling roles with high-priced people. And so I kind of came into wonderful people, but a bit of a motley crew. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I sat down and I'm sitting down and I was very intimidated going, you know, I've just been in this little rural community. They're all looking at me. And I was younger than I think all of my employees at the time. <laughs> so I'm this five foot one, a little blonde chick that, you know, Trance is in there. I'm the youngest on the team, but I'm the boss. And, you know, really feeling like, my gosh, they've got this all figured out. I'm going to come in here and I'm just not going to know what's what. And I sat down and I went, okay, wait a minute. We need to rebuild this team and this department and this organization to be a high-performing EDO. And I can do that because I built Maricopa's now, obviously not on my own. I had all the guidance and mentorship and I was sent to a lot of training. And after being mentored by Iowana, I also had a really awesome city manager. His name was Kevin Evans. He was a longtime Texas guy. He's uh, in McGregor, Texas now. I mean, he's been a CFD since the 90s. He still grades every year. Just one of the dearest people in the world to me. And he pushed me really hard. He said, get your CFD, you get this done. And so having a lot of those driving forces was great to learn how to do that. But I sat back and went, I can do this. I can rebuild this department, I can get these folks the training, and we can set this up. And by the time I left, we were an accredited organization. I had two team members that were incumbents that were there when I got there that had gotten their CFDs, and we had gotten a strategic plan adopted by the city council unanimously. That was the first time in, I think, ever that it was actually adopted by the city council, at least in 20 years. So we made some really tremendous strides and got some very big projects done with a focus on business retention and expansion in the community. So a different approach and really a unique Scottsdale approach. So I was tremendously proud of that work. And yeah, walking in there going, holy crap, everyone in here must know more than me and going, wait a minute, no, we need to rebuild and I can do this. Well, what's the best piece of advice you think you've ever received? I was in Maricopa and I was considering applying to the assistant city manager job which I ended up getting, but they did hire a national recruiting firm and it was competitive and all those things. And I called another mentor of mine. Gosh, I've got a lot of people to send thank you notes to. (laughs) But, uh, you know, he was a former city manager and economic developer who had gone and started a private practice filling interim roles. And so I called him and said, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't know anything about engineering or planning and development. And it's really overseeing all of that. And he said, Danielle, do you know when somebody's BSing you? And I said, well, yeah, I think I've got a pretty good sense of reading people when I can tell they're not being straight. And he said, that is the only damn thing you need to know. As long as you're willing to work your butt off and learn, you'll be fine. Apply for the job. You know a hell of a lot more than you think you do and a hell of a lot more than most other people. So I think it was having the confidence in yourself that, you know, if you've got the building blocks and also I think the humility to know that you don't know everything. You're going to be just fine. Thank you, Danielle. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more with Danielle Casey right after this. (music) 
In June of 2020, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, and we already have more than 100 economic developers as part of our movement. The movement was really built to help improve the quality of lives of economic developers. It helps economic developers land more deals, helps them get along better with their board and elected officials, helps them deal with the media, even helps them learn how to build their resume if they want to look for a new job. So thank you to our first 100 members, and if you want to join the movement, go to the nextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more. All right, well, now that you are CEO, what drives you now? Do you just like doing deals? Do you like building organizations? What really makes you tick? You know, I love building organizations. I mean, I'm starting to build a pattern there, right? And coming into Albuquerque Economic Development is amazing because my predecessor, the longtime loved and respected Gary Tonges, and in fact, when I was thinking about looking at this role and applying, I certainly did my homework. And when I called a good friend of mine who had worked in New Mexico and she said, Gary, he's the most unbelievable, wonderful man in the world. I can't believe he's retiring. I went, all right, well, at least I, you know, I, I'm not going into a community or an organization that's fired the last three directors or is volatile. There's a really great foundation. However, what's so cool about going into this role is that I think with the impacts of COVID, also with lingering impacts of the Great Recession, I think that, you know, if Gary had chosen not to retire and he had another 10 years in him, this organization and this community still needed to completely look at economic development and build a strategy from scratch and reinvent itself and modernize. You know, I think it was just time for that. So what a cool opportunity to do that. So I'm definitely a, an organization builder. I like to be kind of a fixer and a change agent and pivot things, but Every economic developer has got to love deals or you're not really into it. What I love even more as well is coalition building and working in the community to build understanding about economic development, to build champions for economic development and, you know, create really great partnerships. Because if we try to do this in a silo and we are not aligned with our community economic developers and our regional COGS and our chambers and other partners that are out there, you know, advocating for policy change and all of those types of things, we're lost, right? I mean, we're just going to be struggling to get a few deals done and be frustrated forever. So I'm huge on that. And I truly believe that economic development isn't just deals, right? It's building an amazing workforce. It's getting a community believing in itself and pushing forward. And it's making, you know, smart economic development decisions, you know, that are going to impact the community long-term because ultimately, what are you trying to do, right? You're trying to lift people out of poverty and you're trying to build an amazing quality of life for everyone. I don't think there's any community that would say they still don't have a long ways to go. You know, if you're ever happy with where you're at, you know, (laughs) it's funny you say that as we do our executive searches, we always ask a town when we're interviewing their board mayors Mm -hmm. and all, we'll say, you know, three years from now, what do you want to be? And they can rattle those off. But then we'll say 30 years from now, and it's like their mind's blown. Because, you know, 30 years, you can right. do anything if you really if you really build a strategy. Well, take yeah. us back to when you were a kid, 12 or 13 years old, running around wherever you were running around. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, God. Where was I? So that's the fun part. Where was I when I was 13? Because I was a military kid. I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. My dad thinks it's funny because... I was actually born on Carswell Air Force Base. He tells everybody I was born in a women's prison because apparently the hospital, after the base was decommissioned, the hospital was turned into a women's prison. So he just finds that to be (laughs) the funniest thing in the world. But so Texas, Ohio, Alabama, Louisiana. So I guess when I was 13, I was in Shreveport. 
it's funny. I can feel like the desire to bring my accent back when I talk to somebody like you, but <laughs> bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It took a few years and then in Arizona for 20, you kind of neutralize out, right? Yeah. Um, it's that balance of all the influx. But I actually very few people know this. So we'll know if people actually listen to this podcast if they call and tell me. I did one and only one beauty pageant when I was in middle school. It was a local middle school beauty pageant, and I was not a cheerleader. They did not like me. I was kind of a geek and a bookworm, and I won that damn pageant. So, <laughs> this is in Shreveport? It was. It was. It was at Yuri Drive Middle School. So, I won the pageant. And the reason I think of that is because when I won the pageant, you know, they interviewed these 13 year old girls. And I remember one of them was a beautiful cheerleader, and they asked her, What do you want to do, Betsy? And Betsy said, I'm going to be a brain surgeon. And when they interviewed me, I said, you know, I don't know what I want to be, but I'm certainly going to go to college and I'm going to study hard and I'm going to follow my dreams. And so I won. So I don't think I knew then, but I did get my anthropology degree because I really loved museums and art, culture, and history. And I think there are so many things that translate to economic development because economic development is so many things, right? And so few people actually intend to go into this profession but, you know, learning about communities and what makes people tick and all of those things, I, I think, you know, in hindsight, boy, it was such a great natural fit. Yeah. Well, thinking about hindsight, what's the one thing you know now that you wish you'd have known way back in Maricopa when you first got started? What have you learned that you just, you think back and say, boy, I wish I'd have known that back then? Oh, wow. Gosh, that is such a great question. I've always kind of known it, but I, boy, if I had realized then all of the great mentors and wonderful people out there, I would have been less afraid, you know, I might have been even, even a little more dangerous, you know, about those opportunities. So yeah, I think a little bit of that, you know, the funniest thing is when I start talking to friends about what's going to happen in two, three, five, ten 10 years, you know, all I can say is I guarantee whatever I think my life is going to be, that's not going to be it. So, <laughs> you know, because I never would have predicted that I would have spent time in California and then found my way to Albuquerque, where I truly feel already very at home because I'm a big lover of the Southwest, right? It's like I've kind of, you know, honed in with my aircraft and then finally picked a landing spot. <laughs> but I think learning that and then, you know, also realizing then what a true small world the profession is has been very, very enlightening and a really pleasant surprise. I'll tell you the best friends I have in the world still are economic developers I've met at IEDC conferences that we just bonded and we had no reason in the world to know each other other than we sat in a committee meeting together and just went, I think you're pretty darn cool. And these are people that literally one of them, you know, if I die, gets my dog. So, you know, wow. people I've written into my will. So it's kind of amazing. Well, and that's great advice for anybody listening. <laughs> the young up and commerce is, you know, going to those conferences is so valuable. You never know with those relationships you make what that's going to lead to. And not only with your career, but I mean, as you're dealing with projects, and I've called other economic developers for advice. I've had them say before, yeah, that's not a good company. We've dealt with it before. You know? <laughs> There's just so much can come from all of that. So obviously you have, you have done all that extremely well. well as we wind down, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? I just, you know, want to express again how much I appreciate you having me on, even though you probably, you know, I'm so important. You should have had me on before Barry, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just kidding. No, um, I'm, I'm truly honored to be on your list of folks that you're watching and reaching out to. 
And absolutely, I'd love to add if there is anybody out there that just wants to swap ideas or just needs, you know, I don't know, a mental health check as we're working in this profession, feel free to call me whether I know you or not. I'm such a big believer and a champion that especially as economic developers, we've got to support each other and lift each other up. I'm happy to be there for anybody who can use it. Awesome. Well, Danielle, thank you for being with us today. Our listeners can clearly see why we can't call you a rising star anymore. You were the rising star, but now you've risen. So, so you can clearly see why that is, and we appreciate you being on our show. Thank you so much.